Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Seattle Sports Diaries. I am your host, Mike, in the brand spanking new Kraken jersey and the Arizona Rattlers hat. And to my uh, whatever side this is, the king of the 509 district. What's going on, brother? What's happening? Dude, not much. So there's a reason I'm wearing a Rattlers hat, man. There's a big reason. Uh, 530 today, we get to have uh, our good buddy, uh, former Dragon Seattle Dragons kicker, and current and current kicker of the Arizona Rattlers, Ernesto Lateo, on the show to join us. Uh, but I mean, I'm going to say this, man. It's not been a uh, very fun. This has not been a fun uh, week. I want to say that because uh, a, the Mariners are out of the play are not in the playoffs. B, the Seahawks just look horrible. C, the Huskies look like dog shit but on the but on the bright side at least the sounders are winning <laughs> well on the but, bright side for you at least oregon lost on saturday okay yeah that's there's another bright side there's another bright yeah. side but also you know hey we're only just uh what is it four days four days away from the puck dropping in vegas the kraken starting their inaugural season can't wait for that that is going to be so much fun. Hold on one quick second. I actually forgot to do this. I always end up, I don't know why I keep forgetting to plug this in. I always forget to plug to plug in. At I least hope you guys like his shorts as much as I do. <laughs> not even not even on the show for five minutes already taking shots at my shorts. Yeah, I mean, you stood at- up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Notice I don't stand up, so you can't see what I have on from the waist, or don't have on from the waist down. Oh God, I'm just I'm just hoping there's <laughs> shorts underneath there. Yeah, there's shorts. But anyway, man. Uh, so Augustina is not here. She is uh, unfortunately working. You know, hey, adult life comes in. So the king make uh, that favor. Five, yep. The King of Kings from 509, he joins me today to uh, basically talk a lot of sports because, I mean, hey, he knows baseball, even though he doesn't watch it. He knows football, most of it. But, you know, I want to I go ahead and put this out here. Uh, let's go ahead and talk quickly, uh, Huskies, because this is going to be a quick uh, in and out, honestly, conversation. So the Huskies uh, lose to, what was it, Oregon State? Was it Oregon State that they played? Yeah, they lost to the Beavers. Yeah, they lost to the Beavers. Beavers are now the top dog in the Pac-12, it looks like. But, you know, this loss, I want to say, is on Jimmy Lake because it's – uh, who calls a quarterback sneak when your running backs are, you know, running the way that they were in that game? That that, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um. I want to go ahead and say this before I want to get into it just a little bit of a rant. So there's a reason that uh, recruits did not want to come to UW. There's a reason why players wanted to leave UW. And let's face it, it's Jimmy Lake. Jimmy Lake is was not the answer as a head coach um, because and people want to go ahead and say, oh well, why don't you blame the offensive coordinator? We can blame the offensive coordinator, but here's the thing. Uh, The offensive coordinator calls the plays, but the head coach approves them. So there's a problem on both the offensive coordinator side and the head coaching side. 
with the Huskies because Jimmy Lake is not the guy that we hoped he would be. Um, last year was kind of a different year for the Huskies, but I mean, honestly, this year they, they just look like complete and utter dog shit, and it is falling on Jimmy Lake. It's falling on Jimmy Lake because it's sad to see what this Husky team has become with him as head coach. Well, I haven't watched a whole lot of them. I do know that they're really struggling mightily, and sounds to me, and the stats seem to show that that their offense is is putrid is is the best way to put it. Sounds to me, and looks to me like they're stuck in like Pete Carroll dreamland of running an offense, where they just want to try and run the ball, run the ball, and then throw a deep play here or there. And I think the biggest problem, like you touched on, uh, Cadet uh, uh, recruits not want to play for them and transfer them out. A lot of them will when they lose a a, a player's coach or a coach that's got the uh, renown of a Peterson, who was a renowned offensive uh, coach. Lots of lots of guys in the college world don't want to go to a defensive minded head coach in school. Uh, I I would say that the the caveat to that being, of course, everybody wants to go to Alabama. Nick Saban is the the defensive guru of of all coaches. He's not like the offensive guy. When you think, even though their teams spend the scoreboard, obviously, it's not that you you think about that. Their their teams are designed to, hey, we're going to have quarterbacks that put out a system and do what they do. But in in Washington, you had a bunch of guys that were recruited, recruited to play for. For Peterson, Peterson retires and moves to a new position inside as uh, the 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 hierarchy. He gets the promotion, so he doesn't have to have the wear and tear. So now you've got a guy that they already had as the I think he was the top paid uh, defensive or assistant coach in the Pac-12, and they make him and the head coach in waiting to keep him from leaving, and then he takes over. And a lot of these are still recruits that are put together by Peterson that stayed. But at the same time, like I said, a lot of them are going to bail because they're like, hey, man, we didn't sign up for this. We didn't sign up to, to play for this guy, especially on the offensive side of it. Yeah. I mean, they're going to go somewhere that they feel they could shine. And they may see it or get a speech and see what he's going to do and just be like, yeah, no, man, peace out. This, this ain't for me. And I mean, that's, yeah. that's a lot of what happens when you when you turn over a head coach in college. Uh, I still as I said earlier in the year when everybody was upset when they lost their first game is I, I still think, you know, you got to let him have one recruiting cycle to see where he's at, and what he can do, especially being a first time head coach. He's got a lot to learn. Yeah. And, I mean, and that comes with being a player friendly system. That's not just going to be like, Hey man, we're going to have DBU and we're going to try and be LSU 2.0. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to watch this team honestly play. It's difficult to watch uh, the Seahawks play because you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say this on the podcast right now. You know, for the first time in 20 years, you know, the Mariners are actually the best team in Seattle right now. They're better. They were better than the Seahawks because I know a lot of people are gonna say you know that's that's ridiculous. That's that's a bonehead thing to say, but you know it's true right now because. Uh, the the Mariners were better than or are better than the Huskies. That's that's for damn sure. They're and they look a lot and they looked a lot better than the Seahawks. But you know, getting back to the Huskies, you know this this was a team that 
was should not have been ranked to start this season. Should not have been ranked to start the season. I don't know how they got to be. I think they were ranked 20th. I don't know how they got that ranking because um, all we've seen from Jimmy Lake is complete bonehead moves. Uh, again, uh, last year he he wore a hat saying run the damn ball. That was going to be the philosophy. But, you know, what have we seen so far from Jimmy Lake's uh, – what have we seen so far from this team? This team has not run the ball that well unless you give it to Kamari Pleasant or Sean McGrew. And both of those guys are averaging, I believe, uh, 4.9 and 5.7 yards a carry. But getting back to this Oregon State game, you know, in that last drive, you know, you had Kamari Pleasant, I believe, breakoff runs of 5, 7, 7, and 9. And then you – for some dumbass reason, want to throw the ball. I mean, if if the run is working, keep going at it until they figure it out. Then you throw the ball. But it's just Jimmy Lake is not. He is not really showing me what that he is head coach material and that he should have been head coach material because um, it is uh, it's something that. Uh, it's something that is not I, I don't think I don't I just don't think he is a fit to be the head coach here at University of Washington. Um and I want to say that probably by the end of the year, I want to say the Huskies are this Husky team might even be lucky to win five games. And not only that, but let's go ahead and talk about the Apple Cup because that's gonna be a complete shit show. Um, you know, if because both Wazoo, both Wazoo and UW stink. Both of those teams stink, and honestly, it's going to look like it's really going to look like the Apple Cup, where both teams went in 0 and 11, and whoever won is going to, you know, have a winless year. But you know, not really looking forward to any games, any more games this season for the Huskies because it's just it's brutal to watch this team because it doesn't it doesn't look like they care anymore. But I will say this. They're not going to lose this week. I can guarantee that. They're not going to lose this week with them having a bye. <laughs> yeah, you can still lose on your bye week. <laughs> but uh, just, just not on the official standings. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, let's go ahead and talk, though. Uh, before Ernesto gets here, but let's go ahead and talk about this uh, Seahawks win over the 49ers. Uh, Seahawks defense did not look good once again, but for some reason they they were able to hold their own in the second half, uh, able to get stops when they needed to. Ryan Neal with a huge play uh, to break up a break up a pass uh, on George Kittle, which I was really surprised. Um, and Russell Wilson performed one of the greatest. Magic acts of his career of just basically shedding a shedding a sack and throwing a touchdown to Freddie Swain, uh, twenty eight to twenty one victory for the Seahawks. But honestly, I want to say that the Seahawks I think got lucky in this game that you know Jimmy G get uh, goes out. I I guess it was an injury, uh, and Trey Lance comes in because Trey Lance doesn't look like the guy. Honestly, I did well. He does look like the guy, but I but he but he just has inexperience. He doesn't have enough experience. 
um, to probably lead that team yet. But, you know, if I want to say if Jimmy Garoppolo was playing a full game, I think the 49ers would have won this game. I, I don't know about that. Garoppolo had, had went Garoppolo cold where he started off real, real fast, real good, uh, completed. I don't know. He had a higher completion percentage. And then what did he miss the next 13 out of 18 passes or something like that went for incompletions. So the pace that he was on wasn't, uh, he wasn't a good, it was, it was something like that. It was, it was a crazy stat 12 of his next, you know, 20 or, or 12 of his next 18 were incompletions. It wasn't, it wasn't good. It was a lot of misfires and he was throwing guys wide. He was throwing guys, you know, short and just leading them into, into trouble. So Garoppolo had felt some pressure, whether real or imagined and reverted back to the Garoppolo that people have seen and said, you pressure him and he crumbles. Yeah. We, we said that last week on the podcast or, or I said it last week on the podcast, you know, if you, if you, if you pressure Jimmy Garoppolo, he'll panic, he'll throw it away. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the Seahawks did their job last, you know, this past Sunday, uh, getting pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo, able to make him panic and, you know, throw errant passes. But, you know, again, you know, the Seahawks, the Seahawks did their job offensively as well, though. But uh, I want to say that, you know, the running game, I don't I don't understand what's going on with, uh, honestly, this running game of the Seahawks, because uh, I need to go ahead and say this right now. I think Chris Carson is overpaid because I'm not seeing I'm, I'm just not seeing what we've seen from Chris Carson over the years this year and Alex Collins looks like the guy because uh, we'll get it. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but Alex Collins was the better runner in this game. 10 out of 10 carries, 44 yards, 4.4 yards a carry. Uh, Russell Wilson had a touchdown, but uh, you know, it, it, Chris Carson has just been a non-factor this whole season for the Seahawks. And you know, last I, I don't understand what's going on with Chris Carson. I don't know. We don't know what the circumstances are, but I mean, it's just it's really looking like that the Seahawks might have overpaid for Chris Carson. Well, anytime you pay a running back the twenty whatever million you paid for him, unless he's a bell cow running back that stays healthy, you've overpaid for the running back. And I understand that people, and I've been one that has said that Carson's. Uh, physical ability brings a lot to that team in making defenses, whether they stay honest or making them worry about his running ability. However, his his dimension to the team ends at running the ball. Uh, it was trying to feed him these passes the last few years that they tried to. He wasn't able to do anything with the ball after, after the catch. He's not a run-after-catch threat, as some running backs are. I mean, he's, he... The one thing that 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 Dallas can do well is run after the catch. Yeah. So you're paying a one-dimensional running back where he's not a multi-dimensional running back and not a multi-dimensional weapon, especially when there's always a new crop of running backs you can draft every year. So that was my biggest biggest thing is I'm not as many people are like totally anti-pay a running back, but you have to pay the right running back. And paying for a running back who is just a physical runner that can't stay healthy isn't isn't the answer in the NFL this day and age. 
Mm-hmm. Now, that's, uh, 100%. That's, a, that's man. a way to tank your season. 100%. And uh, I, I also wanted to get on this, you know, uh, there was another, uh, there was another game with it, with uh, Jamal Adams having issues and, and it, it's not, it, it seems like Jamal Adams just keeps having issues uh, because let's, let's break it down this way. Uh, in his season so far, he's averaging six tackles uh, a game, which is not really that great for safety. Uh, he's averaging, I think, I think he's only had one tackle for a loss, no sacks on the season. I think he's only had one quarterback hit and the Seahawks are just, I don't, I, I, I said it last night, but I think the Seahawks really did overpay for Jamal Adams. But I also think that Pete Carroll and Ken Norton are not using him correctly. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree on that. I said that as much as it is. It's not, this isn't a guy that's been an all-pro and that's been so good in defensive schemes like in New York and as he was for Seattle last year that all of a sudden he got paid and he can't play football. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year he averaged over like 8.3 or 8.5 uh, rushes a game and he has 18 on the season. So we're asking, and when they're not rushing him, he's being absolutely targeted by wide receivers. But this is this is a... This, I think this is a a uh, look at the whole issue with Seattle's defense is you've got a team that has reverted so far back to a terrible team. They are the first team in how many years to give up 450 yards of offense in in what back-to-back games and or three games straight whatever it is now. Four yeah, games. Four, four straight games actually. Four yeah, straight I games. said four cuz I had to go back to Tennessee. So they're they're a team that has defensively in trouble, and this is let's be quite clear on this. This is a a issue that costs defensive coordinators jobs, and it absolutely should co- cost Kid Norton his job based on what you saw last year, and what you see this year is even worse. Last yeah, year was I mean, historically I, I, bad. I, I, and, I just don't start. understand and this how this year is even worse. It really is, and I don't and. We need to talk about this before we get onto this Rams Seahawks game. But I just I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around it. How is it because how is it that a man like Ken Norton and a head coach like Pete Carroll, who has been uh, what is it a predominantly defensive head coach, um, you know, how is it that we have gone from being the best defensive unit and every year they just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And this year, the Seahawks are dead last right now in defense. Last year, it got better when Carlos Dunlap got into the got into the fray. But I don't. Th- and, and Carlos, but Carlos Dunlap this year has been a no show. Um, the the Seahawks, the defensive line is unable to get to the quarterback. They are not pressuring these quarterbacks enough. But I just want to know why. Ken Norton still has a job. Ken Norton should not have a job right now. I mean, and really, I want to say this also falls on the hands of uh, GM John Schneider because, let's face it, no GM. I, I want to say that John Schneider is more concerned about money than about winning right now because it does not look like John Schneider cares at all what happens to this football team because – Honestly, if I if I was Schneider, I would have fired Ken Norton 
a long time ago. I would he would have been fired by, ne- by at least last year. Would have been look. Why not just fire him? And I don't know if Dan Quinn is still out there looking for a job. But if Dan Quinn wants to come back and be the defensive coordinator, I would welcome him back in a heartbeat because Quinn's in Dallas. Okay, so he's off the board. So, but honestly, it's it's sad to see the Seahawks team go down this road because I I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about this. So Seattle teams have had a very great tradition of wasting careers, and so the Sonics wasted uh, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp's career. The Mariners have wasted numerous. Numerous superstar careers. Uh, Felix Hernandez, Ken Griffey Jr., and Edgar Martinez, and Kyle Seeger as well. Uh, and but Randy Johnson. Rand, well, no, they didn't really waste his career. Randy Johnson left and got his rings. So they traded but, Randy Johnson because they were afraid of his back injury. Yeah, that they definitely were. They definitely were. But, and they uh, were afraid to pay him. <laughs> yeah, they, that, they were. They were that too. But you know. Last year, I believe, was the last chance for the Seahawks and Pete Carroll to actually get back to a Super Bowl. But I've I've said it for the last four years. The Seahawks are never going to get back to the Super Bowl or even sniff the Super Bowl with Pete Carroll as head coach. Um, I'm really hoping, as of right now, that we're, we're going to get into this Rams-Seahawks game here in a second, but... I'm hoping that this is the year that the Seahawks do so bad. And I mean, they're going to be doing bad because you're going to have Geno Smith. It's, it's, well, it's Geno's time to shine. Really? Uh, Russell Wilson is officially out now for, I believe four to eight weeks with that uh, finger injury. But um, I'm just hoping that this is a bad enough season, both defensively and offensively where Pete Carroll, uh, John Schneider has said, I've had enough. You're out because, uh, Another thing that I don't like about Pete Carroll is real quick on that is you got to remember I, I've said that before is that Pete's the voice in that organization. Pete has more mm-hmm. power than Schneider. Schneider Which can't I, fire I, Pete. Schneider can't fire a DC. Pete has all the power in that building. And I really just do not understand why he, uh, how he has that much power because. Paul I, Allen gave him that much power, and J- and Jody gives him that much power, and it's just, it's not great. That, that I mean, because here's the thing, uh, Pete Carroll is a head coach; he's not a GM. John Schneider is the GM, and the fact that Jody Allen continues to let Pete Carroll have this much power is ridiculous. Uh, it should not be allowed because if Pete Carroll continues to have this power. You know, the Seahawks are going to just – they will ruin the careers of a lot of these young stars. DK Metcalf will definitely up and leave because he's not – because honestly, look, you know, Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf have a great relationship, but DK's not going to want to stay here if they're not winning. I mean, Russell Wilson will not want to stay here if they're not winning. And Well, Russell I, might not want to stay to begin with. I I wouldn't doubt it. I would not doubt it. But it's just, it's getting ridiculous to see Pete Carroll and his bullshit excuses every post-game interview when there's a loss. He always says the same stupid thing. Oh, you know, it was a tough loss, but 
We're going to get back in the video room. We're going to we're, and we're going to get better. When the fuck's that going to happen? When the well, fuck are it, you going to get better? As fans, yeah, that's you 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 want to see that, but as a as a coach, he's not going to go out there and throw his players under the bus. Because that but doesn't make should. that doesn't that doesn't make them want to play for you. That that makes a team quit on you for one, and you lose mm. all that. Uh, you know he needs to take he does need to take a hard look at it. Like you know his his whole tell the truth Monday Tuesdays. You know he needs to he needs to tell the truth, and that's that this team isn't that good. And it starts on defense. They've switched and want to run this five two that they're running, and it's and it can't stop the run. They have been destroyed. Pete was always hard nosed about we're gonna stop the run and then we're gonna play Ben but don't break. They can't stop the run anymore. They're what are they? Mm -hmm. Did I read that they are last in the NFL on run defense now? They are. They are the they so, are the worst run defense yep. in the league, and it's and it's pathetic. It's well, it's it's bad, but that goes this goes back to one to Norton. And you see one thing too, is you see speaking of things, regressions. Look at Jordan Brooks regression. Jordan Brooks, you're asking you're asking a linebacker to cover wide receivers. You're asking him to cover Robert Woods or a Cooper Cup yet last night. Doesn't work. What are what are you doing? Doesn't work. Why is why is he 30 yards downfield covering? Is he a cornerback? Is he a safety? No. Then He's he has no business there. Linebackers are used to cover your running backs and your tight ends on the flats like like they had with, with KJ Wright before they let KJ leave. And that's where, like I said, they need to take a hard look at whatever they're trying to do, and this new system's not right. Their cornerbacks are consistently beat, and even when they're giving ten yards, seven to ten yards off the line of scrimmage, so they don't get beat deep. Mm -hmm. And they constantly have some sort of coverage miscommunications where they think someone's going to be somewhere and nobody's there. You saw that when they got beat by. Uh, against San Francisco by uh, Samuel for that deep touchdown. There was there was zero coverage in broken coverage. Yeah, and and Pete will say Pete said that you know it was partially Sidney Jones's fault, but you know part of that blame also needs to go to Jamal Adams because Jamal was on him as well. But I do see where Pete was coming from. That was Sidney's guy to cover. Sidney didn't do his job right. Sydney had the outside containment, and when he switched, he followed his guy inside instead of mm -hmm. switching off and, and, and following. Because if you look at that, the next thing you know, right in the middle, you've got three Seahawk defenders standing around one guy and Sanyam wide open, and you've got Adams playing the deep back third, which I don't know why, once again, you've got Adams playing a deep back third when that was never what Cam – Cam never – when they had Cam – Chancellor, they never asked Cam to cover the deep back. That was Earl's zone. That should be that should be Quandre Diggs' zone, and Quandre's done good back there. So I, this is this this comes back to the this whatever's going on with this is is gone on way too far and way too long. There's something broke there, and you, you know you talked about they've gone downhill since their Super Bowl day, and after that, well. You're going to go downhill when you lose guys that are first ballot Hall of Famers, most likely, and guys like uh, Sherman and Chancellor and Thomas. When you have three Hall of Fame guys playing with Bobby Wagner, another Hall of Fame guy, that's a problem. You've got pass rushers in galore that did so much disruption in Avril and Bennett, and Seattle's mm -hmm. never, never been able to replace that.
because they no. decided that they weren't going to pay pass rushers. Which is which is perhaps one of the worst ideas ever. Is you do need to pay these pass rushers. You do need to pay these guys who, um, who do who are you need to pay these linebackers. You need to pay these safeties. But I, I'm going to go ahead and put this out there because so Super Bowl 49 was our downfall. Um, I'm not. I'm. I hope a lot of people realize that because that was. It, I want to say that if the Seahawks would have won that game, then the whole team could have stayed together for a lot longer. I want to say like Earl Thomas Sherman and all these other guys, they would have spread the money around a little bit because they would want to stay together to win more titles. Um, Russell Wilson may have wanted to go to the Tom Brady type of uh, route and not take as much money. So that way the team could stay together. That way some of the guys that needed to get paid could get paid, but it didn't happen. And I want to say that interception and Super Bowl 49 destroyed what could have been one of the greatest dynasties of all time. Um, and it ruined a lot of chemistry with these players towards Pete Carroll because after that, they just did not trust Pete Carroll. And I don't blame him one bit for not, uh, I don't blame him one bit for not trusting Pete Carroll because, again, uh, I said that Pete Carroll should have been fired after that game because uh, Daryl Bevel was the one who said, let's run the ball, Pete Carroll located. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. But now we have uh, our guest for the third time in Seattle Sports Seattle Sports Tigers history. We got Ernesto Lakeo. Dude, what is going on, bro? I love the hat, by the way. <laughs> hey, dude. How you guys doing? Uh, doing great, man. Doing great, man. And how's the offseason going so far? It's going good. Uh, here right now in Southern California, I'm going to be making a move back to the Bay Area. Uh, starting to get things ramped up again. We got about four months till we have to report back to training camp. Definitely. Uh, for everyone wondering, Ernesto Lacayo here has Seattle ties. He played uh, the only year for the Seattle Dragons. Kicked for us. I have one of his field goals on my phone. I will never delete that video. Uh, Ernesto is a real good friend of mine, and. Uh, Got to meet up with him earlier this year in Spokane. And Ernesto, I got to say, man, that Rattlers team just looked amazing this year. You guys were basically the top alpha dog in this league. Unfortunately, in the United Bowl, you did meet up with the uh, with another top dog in Massachusetts, but it was a back-and-forth game. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you guys did not come away with a win. I was, re I was really upset to see that, but, I mean – what is the what is the mindset with you guys right now? Because I know you guys are thinking, you know, that was a that was a game that we had that we should have won, and that was a game that we needed to win. And I'm willing to bet you guys are have that mindset right now that hey, we're gonna get back there and get a ring. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for all of us, I'm sure everyone respectively is back in their homes, and you know, we're all just starting to gear up to what we're trying to do. And at the same time. Hopefully uh, everyone has the same mentality. You know, we want to run that back and finish, you know, the unfinished business that we have. As uh, it was one of those games, it happens. And yeah, we were the top dogs all year long and everything. But, you know, like a lot of these uh, these great teams, it just comes down to some plays here and there and some games. But I think we're all getting ready to get right back into it, uh, looking to see once they resign, you know, our, our most valuable player, who, who basically is the franchise of the organization, uh, hopefully he comes back, and I'm pretty sure he will. And, you know, I'm sure he's working really, really hard to get ready for the next year. 
Yeah, I mean, you you played with an MVP and Drew Powell, and I mean, it was a blast to watch him in that game against Spokane. Uh, you know, you guys were in that game. You guys were a little outshined in the first half, but all of a sudden, uh, you guys had a fire lit under your butts uh, in the second half. You guys came out. Drew Powell was punching those the sh the shock in the mouth, and I I honestly loved. Uh, I, well, I didn't really love it, but I was sitting next to those Spokane shot goons there. They were just out of their minds. Uh, trying to harass you guys on the bench, and I love the the last touchdown that Drew ran it in. He was he was coming he was coming over to the bench and he was screaming he was screaming toward those fans. And so I'm saying in my mind, you know, hey, if you're opposing fans, do not piss off the MVP of this of this league. Oh yeah, I mean, just that's a great atmosphere to play. And I I was telling a lot of the young guys who had never played against the shot, even the AFL day. I was like, that's not that's not an easy environment to go into because most of the time, going into Arizona, it's one of the most difficult places if you're the opponent. Uh, and I I I can say that because I played against the Rattlers for many years and and never them. And then going to Spokane, those those fans are those fans are rowdy. They'll get on top of you, and you know a couple of them knew me from the Rat um, from the Las Vegas days. Uh, but you know I, I think I won their respect years ago, and they were like very very nice with me the whole time. But for the other guys. <laughs> Well, get ready because those cowbells, those cowbells, uh, magnified uh, in that arena. Oh yeah, let's talk about those cowbells. I, I was I was telling you um, earlier. More cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> those cowbells are annoying as hell. I think they should be banned from sporting events because I had a ringing in my ear the whole time, and it wasn't from the fans cheering. It was because of those goddamn cowbells. Yeah, those those cowboys are are famous. I love that SNL reference right there. I just just love that. But I mean, it makes the you know, the shock who they are and those fans are are tremendous. And then once they get things going again, you no, know, city buys into that. I mean that that arena will be electrifying just as much as where the Rattlers play. Definitely. So let's talk about this. So the arena, so the arena football league. I still call it the arena football league, even though it's called the indoor football league, but. You know, the field goals are a lot different. They're a lot skinnier. I mean, because it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on kickers to to put up, you know, po extra points or make field goals because you have to be dead on or else that thing is going to go wide left or right. But, I mean, how do you – every kick has to be an immense – has to put a lot of stress and pressure on you. I mean, whenever you go out to kick them, I know you are just cool as a cucumber, but tell us exactly how you take – each and every one of those kicks, man. I think it begins uh, when I'm training younger guys and, and they're getting ready to go in to uh, take on this challenge of the arena football or indoor football league. You know, I always tell them like, look, you have to go into the season understanding that you're going to miss. It happens. I mean, your, your margin for error is so small. It's going to happen. There's never been the history of the IFL or AFL. Any kicker has been perfect. It just happens. It can be just, you know, fraction here and a fraction there over the angle. All's being spotted wrong or just something's got to be there's so many you know aspects of the kicking game that affect that ball going through and not only that you know just the ball is different it's a it's a composite ball as opposed to a leather ball so it's gonna fly differently and funny at times depending on how your swing is uh, but you know it's you got to have that mentality like a like a sniper ain't small miss small and stick with your swing thoughts and control what you can control because it's not like in the nfl or the xfl where you're working with your punter and your snapper, 
religiously. This is what you guys do every single day. Where in the arena league, you have the snapper and the holder that play multiple positions. And by the time they get to the field goal or extra point, they could be exhausted. There, you know, their their heart rate can be up. Sometimes it's it's difficult to work within those means there because uh, where you want the ball, sometimes isn't going to be there ninety percent of the time. And I would say a lot of the young guys. I think the most stressful kick of of all kicks in arena is the extra point as opposed to the field goal because a field goal, it's a 50-50 shot. If you make it, great. If you don't, make sure you miss it past the end zone. That, that way they get the ball at the five. Whereas the extra point, a lot of these games come down to that point and, and it adds up over and over again. But like each kick, you can't you can't be married to that kick. You got to make sure you have a short-term memory and move on to the next. Because I tell all these guys and everybody else, you're only as good as your next kick. Definitely, man. So your your holder uh, all season log, Gerard Harrington. We had him on the podcast here a few weeks ago. Uh, great guy. Uh, chat, chatted with him just just for a few seconds in Spokane. He is mm-hmm. such a great human being. Um, uh, you know, he went out with an ACL injury after uh, the uh, the conference championship uh, or the semifinal game with uh, I can't remember who you guys played, but it, I mean it, it. Oh yeah, rips. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it had to be hard for you to 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 not have your not have your holder there. I mean, is, is it is it chemistry with you and Gerard? Because it has to be hard to get a new holder in just that, especially in a game like the United Bowl. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, when that happened, you know, a lot of the people were looking at me. And I'm uh, when when he had torn his ACL, everyone looked at me in the side. So who's up? And I'm literally looking at the guy who's our backup holder who hasn't played all year and is not suited up. So, all right. So I look at the quarterback and the quarterback's, you know, he's shaking his head. He's like, I don't really want to do this. You know, our backup quarterback. And I was literally teaching him on the sideline uh, how to hold the ball, how to catch the ball and just relax. I told him like, look, you just got to give me this room. I'll work within that. But yeah, chemistry is huge. The United Bowl. I mean, I was using our third holder which he was fantastic in practice and everything. Um, but unfortunately, game goes on. There's high snap. Unfortunately, you're trying to work with time. And, and if the ball's not spotted there, it's just, you know, with these small goalposts, if you have a shot, you have a shot. If you don't, I mean, you, you got to work with what you got. And it's not like in the NFL or in the outdoor leagues where you're working with these guys, I mean, almost every single day. And you're working down to the laces being a perfect, to the ball being spotted consistently, you know, nine out of ten times. So, it, you know, it's different, and it's uh, some kickers uh, will go through multiple holders in a year. I remember one year, I think it was 2014, I went through nine holders in one year uh, just because guys were getting cut left and right. So it, it, the more chemistry is better, and, and it was unfortunate to lose Jared because that's another MVP that we had on our team. He was, you know, I call him the uh, the utility knife or the Swiss Army knife. He he, he can do everything. I, I, you know what? I actually call him that. I called him that too. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that guy, yeah, I've never seen a guy work so hard and, he, and he's well deserving of, of an opportunity and the next level of how hard he works and in, in the, the, the production that he has and adding that element that he can hold. And, and if uh, we keep on working, it's going to be difficult next year if he comes back on time with his injury and hopefully it can put him back in the field goal unit because he definitely is the reason why I had such a great year uh, with that operation as well as Steven Garola, our, our center. So. I, I attribute a lot of the success that I had this year to him and to Steven. Definitely. Uh, King of Kings, man, you got any questions for Ernesto? 
Have you ever been lucid? Lucy, Lucy, huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we didn't we didn't actually hear you, Ernesto. Oh, what what's Lucy? Charlie Brown. Tra oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh my God, I remember. Uh, there's plenty of times it's happened. Our, my first point in high school had to happen. Uh, we had a holder who. Uh, who didn't like any pressure and suddenly we, we had to kick one extra point. He pulls the ball because he, he felt pressure and naturally no one was near him and he tries to run into the end zone. He gets clothesline and uh, that was the end of his career actually my freshman year in high school. Um, it, it Has it happened in the professionals? I can recall one time in 2013 I was playing for a team in Louisiana and it was a game-winning field goal and, and the guy literally picked up the ball and he wanted to, you know, be the guy to score it by throwing it. And I kicked through. I, I swear my knee almost popped out of my leg. I swear that would have happened. <laughs> Those Jeez. are the times I can recall. Jeez Louise, that is unreal. <laughs> so, again, everybody remembering Ernesto from the XFL with the Seattle Dragons. And, Ernesto, I know here coming up in 2023, the XFL is coming back. And – Hopefully the Dragons give you a call again, man, because I want you to be there again uh, playing for the orange and green and blue uh, The because it was a black – that first game that I saw you play in, you know, it, you did not – there was no pressure with you, man. You, you did not – I could even tell. You did not feel one bit of pressure kicking that football and – but I mean, just just tell us again about that. That, that just the fans in, at CenturyLink or now Lumen Field. I mean, just it had to be an incredible moment. That first game, that first win. Oh yeah, it was it was very much electric in that stadium. Uh, I tell people I couldn't even hear myself uh, count my steps out loud of how was there with the fans. Um, but just to be in, like I, I would tell people, it's it's like hollow ground uh, and to be in the same stadium with some of the great players that were on that team and those fans, it was just electric and being able to contribute, um, sealing the game with that last field goal against Tampa. I mean, it was, it was one of the great moments of my career and yeah, you know, it wasn't so nerve wracking. It was more like, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and now I get some bigger goalposts as opposed to smaller goalposts that I've been used to <laughs> so many years that it was just fun. I mean, the XFL was fun. Um, I think the fans are what really, truly made it an experience in Seattle because they bought into it. And I can only imagine as the season went on, how many more people we would have had in that stadium that would have made it that much better. So even though it wasn't like a full stadium, I just couldn't believe how, how loud it was. And I couldn't hear my, uh, you know, count my steps out loud, taking my kickoff. I was like, what's going on here? So I'm just like screaming it out loud. And I know my teammates were like, this is insane. I'm like, I know. Wait till we start winning some more games. So, <laughs> um, You mentioned to me in Spokane that you were actually thinking of writing a book. Uh, I want to hear that detail because you told me a little about the details. Uh, King, King of Kingsman, I think you will love to hear this. So give me a little bit of uh, just a little bit of background without giving too much behind that book idea. Yeah, it, it's something that I, I've when I was in like year six or seven of my career and I started experiencing and seeing the good, the ups and downs of arena football and and uh, the shenanigans that go along with the professional life. It's something that, you know, I I love 
to talk about with people because when people ask me all the time, what's arena football like? I say, well, if you like comedy, there are two movies that you have to combine. And that would be Major League from the 80s and the movie Semi-Pro with uh, Will Ferrell. And you combine those two and that is the tip of the iceberg of what you actually experience in arena football or just professional life as it is. And I want to bring light to that in, in a positive and also humorous way because uh, who knows, that could actually probably be a movie for all the stories that I have. And I've written these things down every single year of every team I've been on, uh, whether we played away or at home and the experience I had with the fans or or just on and off the field. It's something that I really want to bring you know, light to so that people have better an appreciation and understanding of what the arena game or the XFL was like. Uh, but I feel like if I write that book, you know, the more people I talk about, they're like this. That might be a comedy movie. I'm like, it might be. So <laughs> it'd be a good one. Well, if, whenever you do write that book, uh, make sure I get a copy of it. I want it signed, though. But um, uh, for the for the Rattler fans who are watching this podcast and listening to this podcast, uh, give us a, give us some story. Give us a quick little story about uh, both fan and uh, you know teammate experience this year that could probably feature in that book of yours? Uh, I'll start with the fans. I mean, uh, I before I even put on the uniform for the Rattlers, again, I had played this team 17 times. I lost it 17 times. And these fans knew me so well, I'm, I'm pretty sure they know my social security number by now. Of how <laughs> many them. And it was something that was very uh, uh, humbling experience because before the season started, I had lost my best friend to COVID. And for his funeral, a lot of the Rattler fans donated money uh, to his funeral cost. And I was very, very uh, moved by that. And when I got to Arizona, they were very welcoming. They have their booster clubs. They're inviting us uh, even oh, I'm out to eat with them, just to hang out with them. And even before and after the games, they are just loyal. And they just want to get to know you at the same time. Uh, just hang out with them. And I, I had one of my, my favorite fans. Her name is Serena. She, she's watching. Hi, how are you doing? She's doing great because she's been watching me most of my whole career. She had my she had like a tailor-made uniform of mine. And, you know, I just love being around her every time I saw her. And, you know, she was always nervous. But I just love hanging out with my fans and, and just being able to talk with them one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, it goes a long way. Just making them happy and then at the same time knowing that they make a difference in my life and also in the career, it just, it's, it's a great experience. And it's something that I'm, I'm forever grateful and at them for that. And as far as players um, in, in, in the book, I mean, this team was ran so well, the structure of it. If I can tell people the, what the Rattlers organization is like, it's an equivalent to what, how the Patriots run. They're ran like, you know, coach guys like Belichick. I probably had three, maybe two conversations all year long with him. And that might have been when I signed and probably my exit meeting. That was about it. But, I mean, just everyone on the, you know, the team were, was really bought into following the protocols that we had to do and just being able to grind in in every single day. But, you know, the rookies are always interesting. That when they come in, they, they have this expectation. And it's guys like me and other guys who have played this game for a long time it's our job to making sure that they conduct themselves in the, <laughs> in the proper way at the same time, not get in trouble, and at the same time also have fun along the way. Definitely, man, definitely. I mean, I, I love it, man, because honestly, when, when I went to Spokane and hung out with you, man, got to smoke a, got to smoke a stogie with you, dude. I, I mean, it was, 
it was an honestly a, a blast uh love you like a brother dude i mean i appreciate you the fact that this is now your third time coming on this show and you know dude i'm always going to follow your career now no matter what you you basically have me as you know one of your top fans out there but uh, oh dude no worries man and again that mariners hat looks good on you by the way <laughs> oh i've been rocking this thing i'll tell you what i, I know my ace fans uh, or, or friends are not too happy but I'm one of those people that I've been always those players where if a fan or a friend gives me something, uh, I want to wear it for them and also show that, hey, look, it matters to me and and you guys have a, a piece of my heart. Definitely, man. I mean, look, I mean, you're also rocking a, a finally a 90 win team. We finally won 90 wins, but unfortunately couldn't get into the playoffs. But I mean, hey, it, it's it's uh, one of those things that, hey, you know, we're we'll probably be back next year and. Hopefully you Definitely. can get out here next year for a Mariners game, man. If you if you ever if you are out here next year, man, let me know so that way uh, I can treat you to a Mariners game, man. It's it because that's definitely something I would want to do for you, man. Uh, I look forward to. It. I mean, I I love Seattle and in the small amount of time that I was there. Uh, would I wish I would have saw the sun more often, and it wasn't so damn. But it it was so cold, but I enjoyed each and every second that I was there, and. And people were always inviting me, you know, to, like to the Mariners games or um, I believe the soccer team is the Sounders, right? The Sounders are mm -hmm. the team. I think so. Uh, I look forward and hopefully we hear sometime in June and July is when we're supposed to hear if they, uh, our teams are going to bring us back, you know, for those who are still uh, actively playing and pursuing their dream. Definitely, man. Uh, again, uh, hope the Dragons pick you up no matter where you end up in the XFL. I'm always going to be following you, bro. And uh, again, thanks so much for being here on the show tonight, dude. Love you so much, man. I uh, love you, man. And I, I appreciate you always in, inviting me to your show. And I love it. And it's always fun. Definitely, man. You have a wonderful night, man. And hey, be safe driving out there, okay? Will do. You too. Take care, guys. All right, brother. Have a good night. Ernesto Lakeo, everybody. And uh, oh, man, I forgot to play a billion dollars butt with that guy. Shit. That would have been... That would have been hilarious. Oh, well, <laughs> next time. Next time I get him on. But anyway, um, yeah, first of all, I got to say that was actually a great question <laughs> by you. If he's ever been Lucy. <laughs> yeah, my next one was going to was gonna be – it was either that or a laces out <laughs> – laces out Dan moment. <laughs> <laughs> laces out Ray, or Ray Finkel moment. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we have come to the moment where we have to talk about this. Uh, was not looking forward to talking about this, but we have to. Uh, Seahawks lose last night, 26-17. And not only do they lose to the Rams, they lose Russell Wilson now for between, I believe, four and eight weeks with that, uh, I want to say, uh, mallet finger, right? or what is it, broken finger? Yeah, uh, yeah, broken finger. He had screws inserted into it, uh, and ligament damage is what I understood. Jesus, oh my God, that just sucks. But um, can we also say this? Uh, it's now officially uh, let Geno Smith cook. Uh, Geno Smith in this game, I want to say, was unbelievable. I was not expecting to see the Geno Smith that we saw last night. Um, that is the one big thing that I want to talk about. Uh, Geno Smith, 10 for 17, 131 yards, uh, touchdown. And, and of course the uh, game ending interception, uh, through two touch through a touchdown to DK Metcalf. 
I mean, it was such a blast to actually see this guy get on the field and succeed. And, and look, I don't, and, and I'm not going to blame him for this loss because it's not his fault at all. It's the defense's fault, and it's uh, and it's uh, Pete Carroll's fault for not uh, sticking with a good game plan uh, in the offense because it, it it looked like in that first half that they did not have a plan. They did not have a single plan uh, with the, uh, you know, going into this, uh, even coming into the game because, look, it was seven to three at halftime. It was seven to three at halftime. The defense was doing well. I don't know what the defense, like, I don't know what happened to the defense. I don't know what happened to these players, but they did not come out for the second half. And Jamal Adams was just getting burned left and right in this game. Yeah, well, it goes back to, like I said, it's misuse of, of Adams and what you're asking him to do. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the misuse of not just Adams and the entire defense as a whole. They're just they're just putting them in a position not to succeed. Yeah. How many I times mean, you, you don't have anybody that can play press coverage without getting beat, so you get no jams at line of scrimmage. If you don't get physical jams at line of scrimmage, you're giving receivers free releases and you're just hoping to keep these receivers in front of you and hoping that they catch the ball and you can tackle them right away. And that's not working real well for them. Um, Sidney Jones has been Trey Flowers awful. Mm-hmm. Reed hasn't been much better. Uh, just it just This defense in a hole is just an absolute black hole. And you talk about things that went wrong. Is that You talk about that drive they had where they went for it on fourth down. Four straight runs. Mm-hmm. You took I mean, the I mean, ball. Said, I mean, you took the ball out of your best player's hands for two decisive plays. It's just these first down and second down runs aren't doing anything for this offense. This is why we have so many three and outs that we see. Is mm-hmm. is the problem is is they're getting behind the sticks way too far in for these first and second downs. Now Collins ran effectively for part of the game, but I think he finished at what three yards a carry or something. 3.1 yards a carry, yeah. Yeah, because they they realized that, hey, you know what? Every first down, guess who's getting the ball? Mm-hmm. They're going to run it. And it's just, I don't know what's gone on here. Um, I admit, I had said this last night, but it's, it's they've taken the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. He's thrown the ball so many more times less than they threw it last year. This is going back to the last, like the two two previous seasons or so where we're only going to let him throw the ball 20, 24 times a game max, and he's going to have to be super efficient. And we're going to run the ball more. It's just mm-hmm. – it's, 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 it's hard to understand when you've got a, a duo of wide receivers in Lockett and Metcalf that are 1,000-yard receivers and probably one of the best tandem receivers in the NFL. And you're taking the ball out of Russ's hands and out of their hands. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's the it was exactly what they did last year in the second half. They took the ball out of his hands uh, because I'm I'm not happy. I am not happy when Pete Carroll takes the ball out of the best player on this team. When I don't understand what goes through his mind because it's not working. Nothing is working for this team. You cannot run four straight runs and and expect to be efficient. 
You, you just can't. Unless you can run the ball efficiently, then I would say maybe yes. But it just is not working. It's not working at all. Uh, don't know what happened there, but okay. <laughs> I got a FaceTime. I have to use my phone until my webcam shows up. <laughs> oh, I see. No problem. But, I mean, I did, I don't understand why Pete Carroll is – Taking the ball out of the best player of the, uh, taking the ball out of the hands of the best player of this team, and it was the same last year uh, during the second half because I believe that if you don't take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hand in that second half, I believe the Seahawks could have won the Super Bowl last year. I, I really do believe that they they could have maybe made it to the NFC to the NFC Championship. I don't know if they could have beat Brady. I don't know. But real quickly, uh, go ahead and answer that because uh, Ernesto is going to join us here. Real quickly, I got him back on just for a quick minute. I was going to say that the reason they took the ball out of his hand last year late in the season was because they wanted to control the clock and control it because Pete, once again, this is part of his belief system, uh, cold weather, you can't sustain a passing game. You end up in the later in the season, you've got inclement weather, you've got cold games, you've got you've got rainy, potential rainy games, and we've seen Russ hasn't been good in rain and, rain and wind. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, was I, I, that was the biggest, I think, reason behind that. Yeah. So real quickly, I want to bring Ernesto back on here. Hey, Ernesto. Dude, I actually took you off too quickly because we have a tradition here now on Seattle Sports Tires. So it is a game that we play all the time with our guests and here. It's called a Million Dollars Butt. So okay. what – and uh, Drew – I told you, Drew and Jared have played this game. And I told <laughs> you to watch – I told you to watch I, – I sent you – I think I sent you Drew's – uh, but yeah. so what it is, is it is a game where you get a million dollars, but it gives you a crazy scenario that you must follow. And the point of the game is, is that you have to say why you would take the million dollars or why you wouldn't take the million dollars. Okay. Okay. So uh, this is the only reason I wanted to bring you back on here is just to get, just to see you because uh, just to get you to play this. So y'all set for this, man? Let's do it. Okay, and these are real. These are actually real cards. I am not even making this shit up. So a million dollars, but every time you have, every time you have sex, you have to text an ex something cryptic or and weird. Oh, oh man! <laughs> so you. I want to say that I would actually take this. I would actually take this just to. Just to screw with an ex so badly that they don't know what the hell I'm saying, I would I would honestly enjoy doing that for a million dollars. I would too, but unfortunately, I would say that all my exes have probably blocked my number, so I don't know who I'd be texting. So. You can still you can still text a blocked number; it doesn't matter. Uh, oh, right, I guess so. I, I would take. They that. didn't say they had to text back. Exactly. <laughs> So five hundred nine King of Kings, you doing it, man? You taking the million dollars and texting? I mean, it's a million dollars. Why not? <laughs> and and a chance and a chance to just text weird shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. You can be like, you know, in Mike's case, he could text him. The leprechaun has landed. <laughs> <That's a good one. laughs> oh See, man. I See, I, this is another reason why I love this game because it's a chance for it's a chance here for five oh nine just to fuck with me. <laughs> oh. All, right. All right, here we go. Uh, one more round and then I'll let you go, man. But I, I appreciate right. you coming back on here and doing this, man. I really do. Got it. All right, so a million dollars, but 
when okay i'm i'm definitely going to do this uh, right off the bat so a million dollars but whenever someone starts talking politics you curse uncontrollably for 30 seconds doing it right then and there and i think it's every time someone says it so you're going to get a million dollars every time someone starts talking politics if it if it's 30 seconds of uncontrollable cursing doing it every single time <laughs> i would agree i would take the million dollars and doing that too i would do it like that too i'd probably do it in spanish even throw people off so <laughs> <laughs> i'd love it king you doing it man I mean, if you're talking politics, it's probably got 30 seconds of cussing in it anyways, uncontrollably. Right. So, I mean, might as well get paid for that 30 seconds. <laughs> he got the right, right idea. Yeah, he, yeah, he does have the right idea. That's so, awesome. Vanessa, dude, uh, thanks again, man, for coming back on here, doing this real quickly with me, man. Anytime, man. I love you guys. Dude, uh, dude always, man. Love you too, man. You Again, you have a wonderful evening, man. You too, man. Take care. All right, bye. So there we go. Ernesto joined us real quickly to play a game. I had to. I had to get him on here just to do that. But, I mean, it was worth it. It was totally worth it just for the laughter. <laughs> but let's go ahead and get back on to this uh, Seahawks game. And we do need to talk about this, Jamal Adams, uh, because uh, Jamal Adams in this game, I'm looking right here at the stats. He only had five tackles. He finally had a tackle for a loss in this game but was burned uncontrollably and it's again the, the seahawks are not utilizing him correctly i i don't think oh uh, they definitely aren't they definitely aren't because i believe that the seahawks need to use them exactly how they used them last year definitely and honestly I'm, I'm i'll go ahead and point this out i, I was talking with someone uh at uh, just sports today about this but you know, maybe consider switching Jamal Adams to a linebacker position because maybe he plays better at a linebacker position. Um, you know, because he's because he's certainly not he cannot cover anybody. That is that's the biggest weakness of his game is he does not cover anybody well. Well, I think that's not exactly fair to say. You don't become an all pro like he was in New York if you can't cover somebody. That's that's not that's not fair that's once again that's a failure in this system because if you look at it nobody can cover anybody you got bobby wagner has looked horrible you've got jordan brooks looks like the guy that everybody thought he was when we drafted said he can't cover anybody mm -hmm. so nobody on this team is covering anybody you know that the, these guys are are terrible receivers are running wide open everywhere so it's not it's not a fault of one individual player at this point and I don't even think that you can point the finger at every at all the players and say it's a fault of the players. Period. This 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 falls squarely on on Norton and and Carroll's shoulders because they're the architects of this defense. Mm -hmm. And when you see a defense that is performing this poorly, like I said before, historically bad, to cap off historically bad start last year, there should be no question that that today Norton should have been axed. Yeah, no, I 100% I agree with you, man, because, it, I mean, it's ridiculous to watch uh, this this team perform the way they have because we know the Seahawks team. Honestly, I believe that the Seahawks team could have won 13 games this year. Now, I don't even think the Seahawks team could probably even get eight wins this year. I mean, in my opinion, I think that I think they'll be lucky to even get eight wins. But, you know, it's just – this is turning this is honestly turning into probably one of the ugliest seasons 
uh, in, defensive wise in Seahawks history because uh, last year was not great, but they found a way to get better. But it just it does not look like they are going to get better anytime soon. And it all like you said, it all falls on Ken Norton. Um, Kent Norton should have been outed, outed uh, as the, uh, you know, as, uh, tell me, as the uh, uh, defensive coordinator. coordinator. Yeah, as the defensive coordinator last year. And it, it, it's ridiculous to watch, uh, you know, this, this Seahawks team play. And it's honestly now with Russell Wilson being out, this is really the first time I have no faith in this Seahawks team. Look, I'm a diehard Seahawks fan, no doubt. Um, I've loved it. I've been a Seattle Seahawks fan since 1995. I was a Mariner fan first in 94, but I was a, I became a Seahawks fan in 1995. But it's just, it's, it's going to be difficult every week now to watch this Seahawks team because we don't know what we're going to get. And, you know, look, I don't think the season is particularly over. I think that might be an under. I think that might be like overstepping, and kind of just you know not. I want to say it's like an overreaction. I want to just say that it it might just be a little bit of an overreaction to say that the season is over for the Seahawks because I don't think it is over. Some of it could be salvaged, but with the way the Seahawks team is playing, you know, you have. Let me go ahead and look at the schedule real quickly. So we Sunday night in Pittsburgh. Yeah, Sunday night in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, both teams are struggling, so you have to find a way to get away. That that might be a winnable game. Well, well um, it was definitely a winnable game with, with Russ and no offense to Geno. Um, it makes it a different one. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason Russ is a starter and Geno's a backup, but, yeah, you know, I think um, that Geno's probably every bit as good as what we've seen with Roethlisberger over his last, what, eight uh, last half of last season, playoffs, and this season. Roethlisberger has been horrible. So there's a break for the defense, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, then the following week we played the uh, Saints, another primetime game. Um, yep. That is, you're, you're going to have to find a way to shut down J Jameis Winston. You're going to have to find a way to get, I mean, honestly, this, this, the season right now is going to rely on the defense. That and then is you it. have Jacksonville and a bye. Yeah. And here's the thing. Look, if you lose to Jacksonville, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be truthfully honest. If the Seahawks can find a way to go two and one in these next three games, I want to say two and one, but it and not and that one loss does not come to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I want to say that the season could be saved, but I also <laughs> want to say that I don't think even with the Seahawks being able to salvage the season, I don't think the Seahawks have what it takes to make a playoffs this year, not with how good the NFC West looks, because I don't even think they can get in with the wild card. Well, they don't have to be the best team in the NFC West. They only have to be the second best team. So what you what you hope for in that situation is you're hoping Arizona or Los Angeles crater is somewhere along there and stumbles for a three or four game series, which is, is entirely possible. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it really is. It, it really is possible. So again, last night I did say that the season is over. Again, I think that might have just been an overreaction, but there is there is a way to save this season. Uh, moving on, though, we got to talk just a little bit of hockey right now. We have to talk about it because 
the, the, the Seattle Kraken are four days away from dropping the puck in Las Vegas against the Golden Knights. Uh, everything is set in motion. The Kraken have their roster out. Uh, I don't know how much hockey you watch, bro. I don't you watch hockey. hockey. I'm not a hockey guy, but that's okay. Uh, all right. But, I mean, like uh, – I don't dislike it. It's just I never – there was never any rooting interest, and it was always on um, – it was always on bizarre channels. You could never find it. Well, now you're going to be able to find it now because it's going to be on ESPN, man. Um, I don't know what uh, what uh, cable co- or uh, what network do you have actually? Charter. Charter. I don't Back know if that whatever you want to call it. Does it carry Root Sports? Yeah, I have I have Root. Okay, so you're going to be able to watch the Kraken then. But uh, you know, think about this though. I mean, I uh, I need to go ahead and play this because I think this is one of the greatest. Uh, theme songs. Uh, uh, I think this is one of the greatest theme songs ever on the uh, for uh, for hockey. So let's go ahead and play this real quickly. Don't get DMCA'd, right? And I don't know what the hell just happened right there. You just got DMCA'd <laughs> that fast. <laughs> So the so the NHL is returning to the to ESPN, which I love. Um, my first ever game watching was the Mighty Ducks versus uh, the Buffalo Sabers, and I saw Paul Correa actually score a hat trick against them. So that was that, I mean that's pretty cool. But uh, real quickly, I want to break down just a couple players here for the for the Kraken uh, because there's there's a few guys to look out for. Uh, uh, Yanni Gordet, uh, who came over from the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know he's he's one two straight. What in the hell? I hope you're I hope you're looking at these comments real quickly on uh, on YouTube, dude. D- no, because I, I'm not on. I, I've got my phone. I don't have that. I don't have YouTube up now. Wow. Okay. I need to. Uh, now I, I'm I tempted need... to go sit in front of my computer and turn it on though. And okay. Hold on a there. second. I'm t- I'm taking a photo and sending you this on your via dms on twitter i'd love to know who the hell this guy is but i mean like whoa this this has got to be just some weird troll (laughs) oh my god what do you say (laughs) um go on your laptop real quickly i don't know i I don't have a laptop all right we're going over the pc all right we're going over the pc we're gonna we're gonna walk with it before we get into this hockey thing you gotta just see these comments oh my lord so oh boy, the, I, I the, do love a good troll. Yeah, I mean we um, and this this channel has many of them. <laughs> Someone's trying to take my job. I don't think he's trying to take your job because you're not you're not going to be posting stuff like this. This is not stuff you're going to be posting. <laughs> Dude, please tell me he posted a Hydra. <laughs> Let's he see them dick pics, bro. He didn't post I want to see them ASCII wieners. <laughs> didn't post anything like that. Uh, but, what the fuck? Okay, well, how about some ASCII boobs? Nope, nope, but... What the fuck? There's no creativity. No, there isn't. Well, you can't send pictures on comments on YouTube, though. No, but you can do ASCII. Those okay, are the dot point. line pictures and stuff. So, the name of this guy is Come to My Circus So I Can Rape and Kill You 666. 
Bro, you got a Satan circus? I have. Don't look at me. I ain't. I'm not. No, not you, but him. I think he is. My okay. God. <laughs> this is nuts. I can't believe I'm actually just holding the podcast up just because of this. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, we could still talk in the background as I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah. but but anyway, so getting on. To, so again, getting on to the the Kraken guys. You know, there there are several guys that come out to me. Uh, again, Yanni Gordier coming from the Tampa Bay Lightning because uh, two t- he's he's won two straight Stanley Cups with the Lightning. Uh, I don't know when he is going to be available. I don't know when he's going to be available, but he should be available very soon. Um, I I think that they said that he'll probably be available, you know, after I think two or four weeks after the the NHL actually drops the puck. But you know, th- this was a huge steal for the for the Seattle Kraken because Yanni Gordier uh, has been one of the top guys for that Lightning. He was one of those top guys for that Lightning team. Uh, Seventeen goals last year, nineteen assists, thirty six points. Uh, you know, he is. Uh, he, he, he really was that guy that was a big time leader in the, uh, you know, in the, in the lightning clubhouse and, uh, you know, lifetime he's, he's got, he's got good numbers. He puts up at least 20, he puts up at least 20 goals a season, at least 30 assists. Uh, so, you know, that, that's, that's a big player that the, that the Kraken were able to steal from the, from the lightning. Uh, the one player that I'm a little bit upset that is not going to be skating on the ice for the Kraken is Matty Beniers from uh, the University of Michigan. I mean, he's 18 years old, so he has some time to develop. Uh, I, I do, I don't blame him for going back to going back to college to, to probably get a little bit more time out on the ice to train and get ready for possibly next season. But you know. Matty Beniers is going to be the player that I think the Kraken are going to look at as their uh, star to build around. Uh, and uh, the last player that I want to talk about is where is my goal? Where are the goalies? Uh, here we go. Is uh, Philippe Gru- Gru- uh, Grubauer. Uh, and you know, I've again we've only seen these in the play in the postseason, but it, it's just been interesting to. Uh, see how good Grubauer has been in the in the preseason. He's been able to make save uh, after save, and he's been able to be kind of a brick wall. So the fact that he is going to be your your go to goalkeeper, and Chris Dreger uh, uh, is going to be behind him. You know the, the the Kraken have got some good goalkeepers. Uh, they've got some good goalies right there. So you know we talked to to John Forslund a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and what his expectations with this with this Kraken team was, and you know his expectation says that you know don't take your eyes off him for one second. You know he believes that this team could be a playoff team. He believes it. Uh, just go. How about this? Just go on your Twitter and look and open up that DM real quick, man. <laughs> I did that. I'm doing that. That's what I'm, that's what I've been doing this entire time. I'm back bouncing back oh. and forth. <laughs> so did you see those comments? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! That's for so, you, there, Mister Satan Circus. <laughs> That's hot. I love it. I seriously <laughs> love it. But anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, I I do hope though that you are going to be watching the Kraken this year because it, because now we actually do have a team to cheer for. 
uh, you have a team to watch out for as well. Yeah, I'll probably watch some of it here or there or, or catch it. Definitely, man. I mean, I know, I know you can't be. We're not going to be able to afford tickets to those games. Um, from what well, I, I mean, heard, I had to. I, I have to drive over to Seattle. That's that's a. That's, yeah, so, that's a no because I don't like driving back home that late at night. I, I don't blame you for one bit. I really don't. But here's so. Let's go ahead and look at this real quickly. Uh, so, do you usually go to Ticketmaster or StubHub to get tickets? Uh, who me? Yeah, you. Um, I don't buy tickets that often, so depends. Like, basically, I don't go to any of the sporting events. Mm-hmm. Last time I went to a Seahawks game was I want to say like oh five, okay oh six. So uh, on whatever whatever year it was, we we played the Chargers on Christmas Eve. That was that was the last game I was ever been to. It's the only game I've ever been to. Okay. Um, so here's so. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this. So the first game for the Kraken, if you want to go, if you want to go to a Seattle Kraken game, this is the uh, cheapest ticket that you can buy. It is in section 224, row K, $399. Who boy. <laughs> That's some money. Uh, that really is some money. And uh, let's look at it. So the most expensive ticket. The most expensive ticket in this arena, and I'm looking and I'm going all the way down because I am expecting to find it. The most expensive ticket in for the first Kraken game. Okay, it just it just keeps going up. It just it really does keep going up. So I'm seeing uh like section 126 row bar. I don't know what the hell row bar stands for, but Okay, here we go. There is one the, section one nineteen, which is looks like one nineteen is okay. I found one nineteen. So one nineteen is actually above, just slightly above the row that actually kind of sits behind the glass. So you're so you'll be behind the glass, but you'll be like I want to say so about be maybe, a nice a nice one. Oh yeah, it'll be a nice one. But so. Uh, this ticket is selling for three thousand dollars. Yeah, they can keep that. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I'm not. That's that's just honestly. And this is on the Kraken. This is actually on the Kraken uh, website. This is not resale. These are not scalpers either. But oh wow! I mean, that is just. It is going to be unbelievably uh, expensive. So they to come to get. town and they already think they're the Seahawks. Pretty freaking much. I mean, <laughs> is, is that fucking crazy or what? That is uh that is massively crazy. Yeah, I mean, but I don't think it'll be like that. I think that once this I want to say like probably when I want to say probably in December, if not January, the ticket prices actually might go down, but I I'm not going to hold my breath. I really I really would love to go to one of these games. Because um, from what I've heard, the the Climate Pledge Arena, which I hate that name, it is the most stupidest name for an arena ever. It will forever be known as the Crack House to me. <laughs> the Crack House. Yeah, and uh, and I'm a crackhead. <laughs> wow, that's negative connotations. <laughs> but anyway, uh, no. From what I have heard, 
you know, Climate Pledge Arena looks incredible. It is state-of-the-art. It looks absolutely fantastic. And, you know, this is this is definitely going to be a team to go and watch play. But for those ticket prices, absolutely not. I'm not going to pay that amount of money. I will keep my happy ass home and watch it for free on TV. I didn't watch um, it free on TV, and you don't have to pay $12 for a drink with a crack and rum. No fucking shit. <laughs> Speaking of that, I hope you, I hope you, Mr. Big Sports fan, go to the liquor stores this weekend and buy yourself one of the collectible uh, official sponsor deals. They got a, a special bottle with the, the uh, Kraken logo on it. No, sh- okay. Now I might actually have to do that. I yeah, not- they, yeah, they were advertising them here here in Yakima. Not I'm not too long really ago, a big- one of the liquor stores. I'm not really a big spice rum fan, but maybe I will give it a try. I'll, I'll probably give it a try. Kraken black spice rum is where it's at. Okay, Kraken black spice rum. Okay, that actually—I'm not even gonna lie. That kind of sounds a little bit uh, tantalizing. It's it's pretty good stuff. Is it is it sipping rum or is it shot rum? Uh, it's rum that goes into a coke for me, so <laughs> makes it nice and smooth. All right, <laughs> I like it. I love it, man. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, before, yeah. All right. So before we get out of here, though, we uh, we cannot uh, end this show without talking Mariners. As you know, got to talk just a little Mariners. I know it annoys the hell out of you, but it, it, it must happen. So, you know, Mariners finish off the season 90 and 72. I'm not going to lie. We we didn't get to the postseason, but I'm not I'm not disappointed. I am. I'm not, I'm not one bit disappointed with this Mariners team because it they. I got you to hate me in the last game of the season <laughs> because it, what did you, what was it that you said? I said uh, that now I can't say that one game never meant a difference in a 162 game season. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I mean, one I mean, game, technically, technically one game really didn't matter because if they would have won two or three more games, that would have been the difference. I, that really would have been the difference. It really would have. But um, that's you know, that's avoiding you know that bad angel you know bad angels two what was it two angel losses to end the season. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so. look, I'm not going I, again. I'm not going to say that I'm disappointed that we didn't make the playoffs. Of course, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't make the playoffs. But I am just extremely proud of this Seattle Mariners team because again, they they smashed expectations. They were not even supposed to win. They weren't. Some of them had. Some of the experts had the Mariners winning sixty nine games, the the highest win total 69. that an expert. Nice. <laughs> the the <laughs> the the highest win total that anyone had the Mariners winning was seventy two. And here's the thing: the Mariners smashed expectations. They finished eighteen games above five hundred for the first time in twenty years. I'm, or no, excuse me, in uh, in 23 years, or not 23, 18 years. This is the first time in 18 years that the Mariners... Math is actually, hard. Uh, yeah, yeah, math is freaking hard. This is the first time in 18 years that the Mariners have had 90 wins. Uh, they finished 90... They finished 90 with 93 wins um, in 2003. So after that, they couldn't... They The highest win total that they got was 89. But, you know... Th- there's there's a lot to like with this Mariners team because um, I want to go ahead and point this out. Jared Kelnick, I mean, the September that he had and the adjustments that he made is remarkable. You know, I love his little attitude that he has. Like, I love how he yells, fuck, every time he strikes out because it just shows of what a competitor he is. 
it shows what that he wants to win. And I'm not even gonna lie. Look, there was I was watching the game at home and I just started bawling my eyes out when Kyle Seeger exited the field for the last time. Um, it was the same when I went to Felix Hernandez's last game. When he walked off that field, there I was actually at the stadium at the time, and there was not a dry eye in that in that entire stadium, and I don't think there was a dry eye that day. And it really does suck, though, to see the end of Kyle Seager's career after 11 seasons with the Mariners come to an end like this because, you know, 11 years and you, you come close to the playoffs, uh, I think, three times in your 11 years, and it's, and it's just really hard to see that. But really, you know, next year if he actually signs a deal with the Astros or the Rangers, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of hoping he signs with someone there in Texas so he has an MVP type season because he loves hitting in Texas so much. But, you know, wherever he goes, I wish him all the best. I hope he ends up on a team that does have World Series aspirations because I want to see him get into the playoffs. Because everybody's just all but sure that two or that $20 million option is going to be declined? I, I'm willing to bet you that it is going to be declined because I, I hope it I'm, – I'm not going to lie. I hope – that it's not going to be declined, but I hope that they kind of decline it and t- talk to Seager and try to try to just say, you know, hey, you know, your 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 batting was down, but your production was up. But we don't we want well, to give average you... was down, but he had a career high on home runs and RBI. Yeah, I mean that is true, but it, so I I do have to ask you this: is is it worth twenty million dollars to spend on a guy who hits two two eleven, thirty five home runs and hundred and one RBIs? I mean, I want to say yes, but at the same time, with Chris well, Bryant. Here's my question because I don't have any of that in front of me. What big everybody's now all into analytics? What was his war? So that that's actually a good question. So let me go ahead and uh, pull up Kyle Seeger. So um, I do not think he had a good one. I don't. I don't think he had a good one. So because uh, I mean, you can look at that production, and as long as he was productive in the field, you could have a a positive war out of him versus, you know, somebody else. So he had, so he had a two war batting, uh, for, so let's see, uh, fielding. So let's see his fielding and his war for fielding. Okay. So they don't have war for fielding, I guess, but he did have a two, he had, he had a two, uh, war, which was one. uh, So he had a 1.1 last year, 3.2 the year prior, 1.1 1.1 1. 1 in 2018, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't I don't know if you. I don't know if, if 20 million's worth it for those kind of numbers when he just had basically he's had a, an outlier season in between, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and a subpar season. So if you go by what he's going, you're looking at a one war season again coming next season by the last average of the last three years. Yeah, definitely. Um, another guy that I think a lot of people are looking at right now is, uh, you know, Abraham Toro, because, you know, you bring him over from, you, you get him in a trade with, uh, Houston, which I, I, look, I get that a lot of people were upset with that trade, but Abraham Toro did, he, he helped us, he helped his team out in a big way, but near the end, he just, he could not get a hit. It, it was, it was hard to watch him bat because he, he, I think, he, yeah. Yeah, I think Toro's a good piece to have. Mm-hmm. And I think that in Jerry's um in Jerry's uh what press conference or his uh interview with whoever it was, 
you know, this week, he had said that, you know, we have, we have the, we have pieces here. I think that's kind of something he alludes to is that you got a guy that can be a platoon guy there or, or a uh, pinch hitter and a, and a fill in for, for rest day or whatever, have you a rotation guy, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not, not sold on that being the, the long-term answer for a position. Yeah. I mean, you know, real quickly, there are two guys right now that I'm looking at to be, you know, probably your 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 replacement infielder, and that's Dylan Moore and Abraham Toro. But, you know, I, I want to go ahead and look at this. So I want to look up Abraham Toro's war this year and compare it to Dylan Moore. So uh, Abraham Toro had a .9 war this year with, with the Mariners. And Dylan Moore this year, Dylan Moore's war – was let's see if it'll pop up dylan moore's war was the same so you have two guys doing the same war uh but dylan moore did more did more and i don't mean to paraphrase but what uh you know, what are the position in more play so more can play left field center field right field shortstop second base third base and first base the only position that he did not so but he played and see, that's and see, I think that I saw this now. Speaking of that, because that's why I wanted to double check on the first base is, is I saw other people suggest that that's that that Evan White has to beat more out for the position. You know, that's that's the thing because Evan White is now on the is getting a six year, hundred million dollar contract, and here's the thing: I don't I don't see him playing any more first base with the Mariners because I think Ty France just might have beat him out of that because. Ty France, honestly, France was the other name, yeah. Ty France was just unbelievable this year. I believe he finished with a 292 batting average, which is one of the highest batting averages that any Mariners has had in a long time. But, you know, he only made one error. One error this whole entire season, and it was on a foul ball. Yeah, and you can't have your first baseman, which has traditionally been a power position. For a guy mm -hmm. that's just going to be a black hole at the plate, yeah, and I mean, Evan, and Evan White's been a black hole at the plate. Yeah, I mean, there there's there's no denying that Evan White it just he cannot hit. Um, from what I am taking from all of this, I want to say that the Mariners might find a way to trade him in a package. And honestly, if you're going to trade him, you know, someone was saying that Jose Ramirez is a guy that you might want to talk about going after for a third base position. So Jose Ramirez and Chris Bryant are the two guys out there th third base wise that you want to try to go after. And Jerry DePoto has said that they will expand the payroll this year. So that means that they are going to be spending money. And I, I, I know that a lot that, that a lot of Mariners friends are going to say, we've heard this before uh, deja vu all over again, but I want to say, prove it to us first. Yeah, they they got they got to put their money where their mouth is on this one, and not just say, yeah, well, you know, we're gonna by expanding. What's that mean? I mean, how much are you opening the purse strings up? You're gonna go from a team that was a bottom a bottom team and payroll to a top team. You know, are you gonna contend with those guys that are close to the luxury task or luxury tax, or or where are you gonna fall in line with that? Because you know, free agency is not cheap to build a team with, and you need to build a pitching staff for starters and starting pitching is never cheap. 
No, it really is not. And really, we, we talked, I think we talked about this last week. You know, we, the, the, it doesn't matter what the Mariners need to pay. You need to throw a contract at Max Scherzer. You need to throw a contract at Robbie Ray. You know, unfortunately, the Mariners have got it. They're going to be picking up Yusei Kikuchi. Um, they're they're gonna they're gonna probably p- pick up that player option. They're not picking up that fourth year option, one hundred percent. But you know when they pick up that player option, you need to think about this. You know you're you're gonna be paying that man, I think thirteen million dollars just to sit in your bullpen, and that's not someone you want in your bullpen. That's not even someone that I trust as a starting pitcher. I mean, you know you got to find someone that wants Yusei Kikuchi that needs him and that would be willing to take on that contract. That's the only thing that I see right now with Yusei. Yeah, and I think that Scherzer, like I said, is a pipe dream, though. I don't see them going 30-some million a season for a pitcher. No. no I, and I that's, that's, he's going he's gonna to cost you that. Yeah. and He's and shown that he's been able to be healthy. He's a workhorse. He's a guy that will go out there and and be a guy that's going to start every fifth day. And he's a, he is a true ace, even though he's what thirty seven. Yeah, he's thirty seven, and it it really does amaze me because I mean, but also I I saw this the other day in the Dodgers game. You know, he got mad at uh, uh, Dave Roberts for taking him out, and honestly, you can't get mad at your you cannot get mad at your manager. I get you get. I mean, I remember when uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, when Tony Francona came to take him out. He turned around, just threw the ball into dead center field. I for, I remember that one. I thought I almost died laughing with that one. But no, I mean, pitching is going to be starting. Pitching is going to be the biggest thing for the Mariners, and you have to get at least one, if not two, big bats to upgrade that lineup because uh, you're definitely you're that's that's the big uh, piece of the puzzle that they're missing is. Uh, is you know starting pitching and uh just a few more bats in that lineup and definitely try to make some uh additions in that bullpen someone was saying that you know with graveman struggling a little bit do you offer graveman a two-year 10 million dollar contract and you know i don't know if graveman would come back that's the that's the thing because um you know with him being traded to the astros after that amazing comeback that he that they had and they put him in there uh to save the game but, you know, you never know. You just really never know. And if they can get Kendall Grayman for two years, ten year, $10 million, why not bring him back? Well, the, also the life of a reliever is volatile. So, you know, he could crater next season, too. Mm-hmm. If you look at the guy, he's a, he's, a career, he's a career journeyman before this that was a, a so-so player, and he had an outlier season. Are you, are you willing to pay for an outlier season? I mean, you, you never know. I mean, I don't know if we take the risk or not, but – Next year, uh, Ken Giles will be coming back to the. Uh, Ken Giles is going to be a big was a big acquisition this past year, even though he didn't play or pitch in one game. But you know the bullpen right now it looks great with Casey Sadler, uh, Paul Seawald in there. I mean these guys are like you said these guys are journeymen. We ne- you never could see guys like that having seasons like that, and I never thought that Chris Flexen would have the season that he did. But you know it happens. You know, baseball's a baseball's a weird game. You just never know what you're going to get. And in the words of uh, Forrest Gump, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Except for Forrest was wrong. They tell you on the box what you're going to get. Right. (laughs) 
But that's going to do it for this episode of Seattle Sports Diaries. Uh, the King of King 509 will be back with me next week. Uh, hopefully, Augustina is going to be joining us back again next week. Again, she had to work tonight. Uh, fully under, fully uh, love the fact that she did tell us that she is working because uh, did, did not want to worry about her wondering where she was. But uh, this is uh, Mike and the King of Kings saying so long until next week.